This is the Bags and Platt Podcast. All right, welcome to the Bags and Platt Podcast. August 17th, we're on a Monday, and we got a special surprise today. Our guest is Rick Cerrone, who is just enshrined into the College Baseball Hall of Fame, had a great career at Seton Hall, and you're on with two Yankee fans, Bags and Platt. How you doing today, Rick? I'm doing great, uh, guys. Uh, Beautiful day down here in Long Branch, New Jersey, looking at the ocean and talking to you guys. What gets better than that? I'm surprised you're not playing golf today. <laughs> well, the course is closed. We shut it down for four days. I belong to uh, Eagle Oak Country Club down here, and they closed it down this week to aeration and fix it up again, and we'll start back up on Friday. Well, that's great. Uh, once again, congratulations on getting into the hall. That was a great read I had this morning. Um, yeah, it was uh, it's a long time coming. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody said, boy, you haven't played a game with Seton Hall since 1975 and it's 45 years ago. But really, the, whole, the College Baseball Hall of Fame uh, really only started in 2008. And uh, they've, they've inducted about 60 total players. They actually stopped it. This process started for me about five years ago. Okay. And they actually tried to get a, a, a physical structure built in Lubbock, Texas. And they voted it down about four or five years ago. So they put it on hold for four or five years, the, the Baseball Hall of Fame. They didn't have induction ceremonies. And then they reactivated this year, and I was fortunate to get in. And uh, it's a nice process. It's a tremendous honor for myself and for all the players that have ever played in the East Coast because they, for some reason, don't think anybody in the East Coast can play. Just you know, you mentioned Cal and Florida and Texas. Rick, you mentioned that before I get to the experience. You mentioned that about being from the Northeast and representing because uh, my brother also played at Hall. And I went to Clemson and they are all, they have a big advantage down there of how long they can play. And they're in shorts and in February. And it, it, it's it's not a, you don't see a lot of teams from the Northeast going to Omaha every year. So uh, you, would you like to talk about that experience? You went two years in a row in 74 and 75 and uh, you, you really had a great, great, great uh great stats down there during a series. You want to uh, talk about that experience for uh, for a sec? Yeah, I, I you know what? I, my, fresh, my freshman year, we lost in the regionals at Seton Hall. We had a good year. My sophomore year, we won the regionals, so that gets you to go to Omaha back then. Back in the 70s and uh, 60s and 70s, they had it represented by, by the country. So a team from the East Coast had to make it every year. So we were fortunate to win our regionals after sophomore year, but we really didn't deserve to be in the World Series that year. We were good, but we were lacking some talent. And unfortunately, it rained three straight days. We got rained out. So we had to play a doubleheader. We lost two in a row, and we were shipped home. But this, my junior year, we had a really good team, 1975. Um, to give you an idea, we were the eighth seed in the – in the NCAA, uh, the, the College World Series, and we had to go up against Florida State, the number one team in the country. They were 54 and 8. <laughs> Their starting pitcher was 18 and 0, and we dogged them. We, we beat them 11 nothing. We came out there, we fired on all cylinders. That's and, awesome. Uh, and, you know, I mean, we, we really had a, a, a good team. We were one pitcher probably from winning the entire college baseball, you know winning the national title. But the, the best story I have for being out there in 75 is 
we're playing the University of Texas now, and they had beaten us up the year before. And in the semifinals, we're going head-to-head with them. And before we get off the field, they're winning 10 nothing. They dropped Jeez. a 10 spot up on us in the first inning. Uh-huh. I mean, most teams would quit and put their heads down. That wasn't, that's what signals not made of. We fought our way back. And I remember in the bottom of the eighth inning, it was 11 to nine. We had the bases loaded. Ed Blankmeyer, who became uh, our second baseman, who became coach of St. John's University, the winningest Big East coach of all time. Yep. Hits a bullet with two outs in left center field. This guy, I think his name was Nick Anderson for Texas. It was one of the greatest catches I ever saw. Full lead with the ball showing at the end of the glove, and he made the catch. If not three runs score, the inning continues, and who knows. But we wound up losing, I think it was 12 to 10. And I, you know what? It made me very, very proud of my teammates, Rico Bellini and Marty Caffrey and, and all the guys, Ricky Spasta. We keep going on and on there. We had a great team, and we just fought and fought. And their coach, whose name was Cliff Gustafson, came over to our dugout. And he said, I've never done this before, guys. He says, you have nothing to hang your head. You played a tremendous game. You had us on the rope. Thank God we ran out of – we, we uh, had left in. You know, we ran out of innings. He's a but legendary coach. Coming from him. And a you know, legendary coach. Actually, he's in that the College Baseball Hall of Fame. So – it's nice, and um, that's my biggest experience. What a, what a tremendous effort. And sometimes they tell you you learn more things from losing than when you win. And I, that's a perfect example. That's a good lesson for the kids nowadays who seem to be getting trophies for finishing in eighth place. So <laughs> I, I think that, that's it. And it's pretty cool to hear how vividly you remember that game and everything oh that God. happened there. Well, so, I got to be honest. I remember more that happened in the in college and high school than I do in the big league. Big league's a whole different ballgame. You're getting paid to play a game, uh, even though it's still the kids' game that we dream and we love about and, and enjoy playing. But there's a lot more to it when it becomes professional. And even though there's fifty thousand people in the seats, and you know you might get lucky to play in a World Series or an All Star game, and it's just different. The guys. I mean, I'm closest to are my college roommates, my college teammates. These guys, we we went through it all. We had some great times, whether there was 50 people in the stands or 5,000, you know, like in Omaha. But uh, the memories are vivid. We had some great stories. We had a lot of fun. I can tell you that. We had lots of fun back then. <laughs> I think after after we lost the Texas that night, we sold the bus, and, and we went to <laughs> Council Bluffs, Iowa. <laughs> Because the bars closed in Omaha too early. That is awesome. <laughs> we couldn't do so, that back in the day. Couldn't do that today, but we just had a lot of fun, and we we had a lot of fun playing together. So it sounds like you would tell anyone who was a prolific high school ball player right now: don't miss the college experience. Don't jump right to the pros. It sounds like your college life or your experience from the baseball perspective was amazing. Well, especially nowadays. If you get a scholarship to go to college, you're talking that's $250,000. You know, when, when I went to Seton Hall, my whole scholarship, room and board, and they even gave you $15 a week for, for uh, laundry. And it's the, total, the total ticket for that for per year was maybe five or 6000 
So it's a big difference in the money. That uh, there's also a big difference in the money if you sign professionally. But I think I think there's nothing like the college experience. And you know, I got drafted uh, after that '75 season. Um, I was the, the you know number seven pick in the country. And after a month in the minor leagues, I was up in the big leagues with Cleveland, and they wanted me to. Um, I actually started a game. I did well. Threw out a couple of base runners and got a base hit and took somebody out at second. And I come back from that road trip and they said they wanted me to go to play winter ball in Mexico. There'll be 60 games and you'll be our catcher for the rest of the, you know, as long as you play. And I said, well, I, you know, you should have talked to me before the draft because I'm going back to graduate on time. I have everything taken care of. When I get back October 1st, I'm, I'm, I've had my students I, and I do my students teaching before spring training. They said, no, no, you don't understand. You don't have a choice. I said, no, you don't understand. You don't have a choice. I'm graduating. I'm getting my degree. And the way the Cleveland Indians rewarded me, Frank Robinson and Phil Sagan, they sat me on the bench for the next 60 straight days. <laughs> and I didn't play until the last day of the season. I That's saw you did you make. You, I saw you did make a promise to your parents that you'd get your degree. So that sets a lot to be said for that. Very move. important. You know what? Made a promise to my parents, but I also made a promise to myself. Yeah. You know, even if I played, I played 18 years in the big league, and I was 39 years old when I retired. That's young. You know what I mean? You're young. You're 39. You still have a life to live. Sure. That degree came in handy every single day during my playing career and after my playing career, whether it was the businesses that I owned or, or starting up the minor league baseball team like in Wilmington, Delaware, the Blue Rocks or the North Bears or the sports marketing company that I owned. Or, you know, now I'm involved in the sportsgrid.com. It's a 24-hour gambling um, information site. And we're <laughs> everywhere. We're on Roku, Hulu, uh, Samsung, you, you know, I mean, every single place you can, you can find us and we give you the information and it, it, it helps that degree helped me every day. And, um, you know, like I said, even if you played 20 years in the big leagues, you're still young. Absolutely. I think it's so awesome to hear that, I, you know, bags and I are creeping up in age at this point. And for me now, personally, when I'm watching a game and they say, well, his better days are behind him. He's, he's going to be 33 next year. I, I, I'm like, Oh my God, I feel so old. Well, yeah, that's, that's the thing I always used to tell people. I said, you know, at 37, 38, 39, you're a young business executive. But in sports, you're an old man. You're the veteran <laughs> that everybody looks up to. And, you know, I, I had a lot of the young kids come to me. And I, I kind of mentored a lot of them, whether it was with the Yankees, the Red Sox. I spent a couple of years or my later career with the, you know, one year with the Mets or Montreal. All the young guys kind of, you know, like they, they took to me. And I was honest with them. I told them, I said, you got to work hard, guys. It's easy to get here. It's a hell of a lot tougher to stay here. And that's the biggest thing. you got to work hard every day because there's a young guy who they gave more money, drafted higher than you, coming up behind you. And, and just keep working hard. And that, that goes for whatever, whatever you do, whatever business you're in. I mean, I've got three daughters. I, I talk to them every day. I, I, they're all in business now. They're all doing very well. And, I'm just trying to, you know, every day, hey, you got to prove yourself. I saw, I saw what well, you got a coach in the family too over at Cliffside. Yeah, I got one by month with daughter. She was a stud. <laughs> she was a hell of a basketball player, Carly, and she coaches Cliffside Park girls basketball. She loves coaching the kids. 
She's also a fifth grade teacher there. And my eldest daughter works for Google in the city, and my youngest daughter works for UBS in the financial business. So three good girls, um, Jessica, Carly, and Nikki. I uh, can't be prouder as a dad. You know, I well, just, as, as, as me and Mike are kind of new to being parenting, uh, we, we can see how proud you are of them. That's Rick, the toughest I, of anything is to raise I, I, children. I bet. I bet. Well, we're getting there. Rick, because we're such big Yankee fans and you're a Jersey kid, local kid, what was the feeling like first time going and putting on the pinstripes and also replacing uh, Thurman Munson, who was a legend? And you had a really good year that year. What was a local kid like going to the Bronx every day from work and putting on the pinstripes? Well, you know, I was fortunate that I did have a couple of years with Cleveland, three years with Toronto prior to getting become right. a Yankee. And and that experience is valuable. I never looked at myself as I'm replacing Thurman Munson. I didn't look at it that way. Thurman died in August of 79. I was with the Blue Jays having a good year. Um, if, if Gary Naren and Brad Golden, and I forget, I think who, uh, maybe Mike Heath, whoever was there that year, if they would have had a really good, you know, August and September, they probably would not have needed to trade for a catcher. So that's how I always looked at it. Gotcha. But uh, you know what? You go through all of spring training in Fort Lauderdale in 1980, and, you know, you're proving yourself every day. You're, you know, the Dick Hauser was tremendous for that. He was my manager. He was, he treated everybody the same, whether it was Reggie Jackson, Nettles, Mercer, Pinella, or me. You know, my buddies, Bucky Dan, Gidry, everybody was treated the same by Dick. Love hearing those names. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, and, and going across, I lived in Fort Lee, right across the bridge. And I remember that opening day of 1980, it, it kind of hits you when you're driving across the bridge and you say, boy, I'm the starting catcher for the New York Yankees, the team I grew up idolizing. I grew up pretending in the Newark schoolyards being, you know, Joe Pepitone and Mickey Mantle. <laughs> and here I am going to be the starting catcher. And you know what? Dick Hauser was tremendous manager to play for. The best I ever did uh, because 103 games we won that year. You know, the Yankees needed me. And at, I got to be honest, on my birthday, May 19, 1980, I was hitting 199 bingo number, 199. But I had caught every single inning of every game up until that point. We were in first place. I was second on the team in RBIs. And Dick used to say every day, so, kids, I don't care if you hit 200 the whole year. You're, you are the best catcher in the American League. We're winning games. You're driving in big runs. Just keep playing. You're going to hit. And from there on, my birthday, I hit 326. And I you know, finished seventh in the MVP and – and Dick was a pleasure to play for. What a great guy. But he gave you the confidence every day. And he stood up to Steinbrenner. And he made our life very easy. But that, that was a fun time. And all the people that would come over. And then Phil Rizzuto calling me the Italian Stallion. Uh, and we had the competition against Lee Mazzilli, the Italian Stallion for the Mets. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was, it was interesting times and something that I could never forget. What was it like? Did you have any interaction with Steinbrenner? Because he's this mythical figure at this point. Like we, we caught the latter part of him, but that must have been contact. overwhelming. 
Yeah, probably a little too much contact in the 81 playoffs. That's where I cursed them out in front of the whole team. <laughs> that, that was, I guess, you got to tell my, us about uh, that. That was my stubbornness. I, uh, we had, you know, there was a strike in 1981. Uh, unfortunately, it went 54 days. I was the player representative, but we didn't realize that they had, the owners had strike insurance from Lords of London for 55 days. So it all dragged out, dragged out until the last day, and they settled, and the, the players still kept what they had. Um, and the Yankees at the time were leading the American League, and the Dodgers were leading the National League at the time. So they just came up with the brilliant idea, well, we'll give a, a split season. You know, if, if, it was no, if it was Seattle and Toronto leading after the strike, they probably wouldn't have done it that way. But it was the Dodgers and the Yankees, the two best, you know, the two biggest draws in, in sports. And they did. So we had to do an extra round of playoffs. And we were playing the Milwaukee Brewers, who had a great team with Paul Molitor, who actually got into College Baseball Hall of Fame with me this year. Uh, Well-deserved. Paul, he's a, a Hall of Fame big league player. Uh, looking forward to that. But Milwaukee was tough. Uh, we won the first two games in Milwaukee. Now all we got to do is come back home and win one out of three at home, you know, at Yankee Stadium. So Friday night we lose. Saturday I make the last out of the game, and we lose again in a tough game. And when I, by the time I struck out off of Raleigh Fingers to end the game, Time runners in the middle of the clubhouse ranting and raving, and I thought he was talking about me. So I cursed him out with some really bad, bad language. Oh my god, very bad for a nice Italian boy from a Catholic boy from Newark. But I cursed him out and screamed and yelled at him, "Get out of our clubhouse! We don't need that bullshit in here!" Blah 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 blah. And nobody would have known anything about it. But, but Reggie Jackson thought it was the best thing he ever saw. He said, Sarong cursed out some guy. Oh, my God. It was unbelievable. So now the next day, they got Howard Cosell, you know, doing the game. And he's got a split screen with me and George. And they made this big to-do. And fortunately, we won that game and, and beating Oakland next and then going on to the World Series. But I happened to have a couple of hits that Sunday with a big uh, home run in the, in the eighth inning or seventh inning to kind of steal it. And uh, the first question I got from the reporter was, hey, Rick, after that big home run, did you want to give George the finger? I said, <laughs> I said give George the finger. I was scared to death. I said, I cursed out my owner. That's not a smart business move. But I said, only in New York would you get a question like that. That's that's great. Yeah, you did hit a home run in the Dodger World Series. Unfortunately, you guys didn't win. What was that experience like playing in your first World Series? Well, you don't think it's your first and only World Series. That's the problem. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, I never got back. I did get a couple of World Series rings with the Yankees as a broadcaster, but it's not the same. The player ring is the most important. You do get an American League championship one. That Dodger Series, you know what? I, the only good thing that ever came out of this pandemic is YouTube. You can talk to YouTube right now and say, put on the Yankee Dodger World Series game. And I actually got to see the six games and revisit it. And we didn't deserve to win that series. I always said, oh, we should have won four straight. And, you know, we were a much better team, which I still believe. But we made too many mistakes. I mean, Reggie Jackson gets hit with a fly ball off the head. We we blow two big leads. 
I mean, come on. You don't win ball games like that. You can't make mistakes like that and win. So the one thing I got to realize is that, hey, the Dodgers deserved it. Uh, and unfortunately for me, it was the only World Series I got to play in. But funny, that home run off of Fernando Valenzuela, I should have hit two that day. Right. Because watching the game, I didn't know what happened. The first time up against Fernando, I hit a bullet in Dodger Stadium down the line, and they have the low the low wall, which you see through. It's like a fence. And they said that the ball hit the top of the, the railing and bounced back. It actually hit the guy in the first row. It hit him right in the chest, who was in the first seat, and back bounced back. So that should have been called a home run. They called it an RBI double instead. And then the next time I hit a two-run homer, Fernando. So I would have had two home runs in one game. Would have been a little. That, that's nice. But you know what? I'll take it. It was a great experience. Um, I mean, I can remember every pitch, every at bat. We really blew the Saturday game. And I, you guys like stories. I know you do. I, Absolutely. I remember <laughs> after that game, we wound up losing that game nine to eight. We blew a four nothing lead, a six two lead, and and we lost nine to eight. And the the famous steakhouse in Los Angeles, the place called Dan Tana. And, and mo- all my buddies from Newark had come out, and I'm there, and we're having dinner. We're waiting. It's a very popular place after the game. And, and um, Peter Falk and his wife is there. Everybody knows Peter Falk, Columbo, legendary yep. actor, great guy, small guy with the trench coat. Well, as we come in, he sees me. And I get introduced to him. Oh, I was at the game. Blah, blah, blah. Now, well, nice. So now he leaves with his wife. Me and my buddies go to the table, and we happen to sit at a table at Santana's that you could see the front door. Well, we're sitting down. An hour has gone by now. And now a different guy comes walking in. It's not Peter Falk, but it's Columbo. And he walks <laughs> over right to our table. He says, hey, Rick, did he lose it in the sun, or did he just screw it up? I said, I think he just screwed it up and hit him in the head. And he turns around and I thought so, and he left. So I told my all my buddies at my table, I said, hey, guys, we just got Columbo live. He had to know whether Reggie screw up the fly ball or he lost it. In the, I said, that, that was the perfect Columbo move. <laughs> Detective work. <laughs> oh, my God. It was I said, what do you think? Did he stay in his car for an hour talking to his wife saying, you know, I got to ask Rick that question. I got to know it. It was the same way he would do on this TV show. So I said, okay, guys, we met the real Peter Falk. So, so you brought up, you brought up, that's a great story. You brought up Reggie Jackson's name a few times. What was it like to play with him? Like what, what's the first word that comes to mind when somebody says to you, Reggie Jackson? Champion. Big time player, uh, produced under pressure. Not a great guy. Not a great guy. A guy that wanted people to dislike him for some reason, which I never understood. Um, he wanted to be, I guess, like booed and hated. And, you know, I mean, noticed, I guess. I, I guess very insecure as a person. But I loved him as a player. I mean, he even come up and make a big throw when you needed it. Uh, you get a big hit all the time. Now he's he's mellowed a lot. And, you know, I, I see him. He's a very frail man right now. And he's trying to be nice to everybody. But you know what, guys? I learned a long time ago, and it's the way I was brought up in, in Newark from my, my parents. The people that you see on the way up 
in your career, the same people you see on the way down, and be nice to everybody. It doesn't it doesn't cost anything to be nice. Well said. And I just felt a little bad because Reggie, you know, you'd go out to dinner with them or something. Nobody really hung out with them because he was very rude to people. And there's no reason for that. I mean, I, I never understood it, and I still don't. And I, I make sure I tell that to my kids every day. Be nice to people. Be, be the, you know, a compliment that goes a long way a lot of times. So, yeah, Reggie, could as a player, boy, I want him on my team. A, a, a real gamer. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Rick, I don't know if you've been watching the Yanks uh, this season. It's a very unique season and weird. Um, as a catcher yourself for 18 seasons, and you threw out a lot of guys. You had 51% one season, which is unheard of these days. Gary Sanchez, they think uh, people are starting to worry about his his hitting, but his catching is even more uh, confusing and you know what i say about that yeah what do you think about that situation what i say is leave him alone there's not too many catchers that can hit 30 home runs i know he may only hit 200 i may he uh, he can drive in big runs he gets hot he can carry a club i mean ideally he probably should be a dh right would you worry about him late 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 innings in a playoff game Oh, I'd worry about him in the first inning of any game. <laughs> as far as and now they got some cockamamie thing where you, you catch on one knee. Yeah, I mean, come on, this he just started that. Uh, you know, that's embarrassing with runner on base. How are you gonna throw a runner out? You'll see, nobody runs anymore. Uh, it's and I don't know how you get in a position to block the ball. I guess a, lo- a lot of catchers, a lot, a lot of catchers are doing that too. I saw a lot of catchers. That's a new. I guess it's because of the lack of running in baseball. But I'll tell you what, the 60-game uh, uh, season is very interesting. I mean, we're already a, quarter, quarter of the, a third of the way over. You know, they've already played 20 games. It's, it's here. It's going to be over before you know it. I'm, I'm still very worried about people getting sick. I'm worried about – to me, it's all about the, the playoff dollars. Um if they get the playoffs, then they both the players and the owners make a lot of money. Owners make more money, but the players' pension gets funded through the you know TV revenues. That's where all the big money comes in. So, you know, I, I hope it works. Um, I really do. I, I I'm not sure it will. Uh, I see now another team. What is it? The first it started with the the Marlins, then the Phillies got infected. And now I believe Cincinnati got affected as well. Yeah, and I think the Cardinals as well. So it's it's oh, no, definitely Cardinals, a problem. Cardinals. There you go. Yeah. Uh, you know the Cardinals. It's a little. It's a little scary. It's a little scary out there. And you know we'll see what happens. Hopefully it'll work. I like watching the sports. We need sports. Our country yeah. needs sports. Absolutely. We need to the game. We need people being able to go back to a life that's normal. This is. Guys, this is a crazy, crazy time we're in. I had a grandson who was born on March 12th, the day the world ended, basically. <laughs> I have not been able to physically touch him or hold him since he was born. He's five months old. I mean, that, that's, this that, is something that, that's that we've crazy. Never, never experienced before, and hopefully we'll never have to experience it again. And I just wanted to get over I, I wanted to get over people. So many people are losing their livelihood. Uh, and, and, you know, I just see it, it's going to get worse. Nobody's traveling. 
you know, you think about it. Nobody's buying cars. Nobody's flying. Nobody's, it, it, it's a tough time. It's a tough time, but we're going to get through it because we're strong. We're going to get through it somehow. we got to fight it, and uh, hopefully uh, it'll come back to normal. I got one more question. We really appreciate the time. We know you're yeah. busy, and we thank you. So you faced and had some phenomenal pitchers on your team. Who would be harder to hit, Ron Guidry, Louisiana Lightning, or Garrett Cole? Who would be harder for me to hit? I'm yes. 66 years old. The both would be tough, I think. <laughs> put uh, put Ron, Rick in his prime. Gator, Gator. I used to kill Gator. So, uh, but if I'm talking about watching them in their prime. Gator has such a nasty slider. Um, this Garrett Cole, I, you know what I like? I wish I was playing now because everybody loves their fastball. It's They're so real talking with their fastball. Nolan Ryan had the best fastball, best curveball in in the game and I hit I think over 400 lifetime against them. Rick, I was just going to I was just going to bring that up. You have four home runs versus the the Ryan Express and that is yeah, really you know that's what? really a good stat. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't a big home run hitter, but Nolan, you know what? He said it too. He says the toughest out for him was me. I love that. You know, you got a Hall of Famer like that saying that. That's nice. That's I awesome. I just I would have loved to be playing today with all the fastballs they throw with all the juiced-up baseballs that they use. And, guys, nobody talks about the bats. When we played, we had either you had Louisville or Rawlings bat. That was it. It would chip. It would peel after a week. These bats are shellac. They put so much shellac on them. I remember picking up Gary Sanchez's bat at an at a old-timers game, and he, and he had said he had used it for the, a month. There wasn't one imperfection in the whole bat. And wow. that's how hard they were. And the balls are like golf balls. So I would have loved to. These guys love their fastballs. That's 96, 97, 98. They love to throw right down the middle of the plate. I don't yeah, know. They, now, they, they are, they, they are pretty know, cocky uh, with the heaters. I, I agree. They are. They're very happy. <laughs> Every guy comes out of the bullpen, 95, 96. Like it's, that's something special. <laughs> it, I just think that I would have loved if I didn't have to guess and, and look for breaking balls and sliders. And change ups, uh, you know, it might have been a little bit easier. I mean, but um, everybody always says the best pitcher I ever caught. I have to say it's Roger Clemens. I want I want twenty Roger Clemens on my team because he's a he's a fighter, great guy, um, and you know what? I, I'll take him on my game my team any time of the year. But I I caught some great ones with Eckersley and Teddy Hagara and Gidry and Tommy John. So many good guys. Um, I was very fortunate. And everybody always wants to know who's the best hitter I ever saw. Well, I think it was George Brett, myself. George had an act to do whatever it took to win a game. He could steal a base. He could hit a long home run. Um, you know, I, Wade Boggs, to me, could get a base hit with the best better than anybody I ever met. Yeah, he Brett batted 390. He, Brett sniffed 400 he, back in that season. Yeah, batting yep, 390. And, and Boggs, Wade Boggs hit 367 two years in a row, I think it was, with wow. the Red Sox when I played with them. And he very rarely pulled the ball. This guy hit a line drive. I think he could hit line drives right now in Bay. But right. uh, Dave Winfield probably could hit the longest line drives of any human being alive. <laughs> and then Reggie for the dramatics. Uh, you know, had a great long career, a lot of fun, and this college baseball Hall of Fame guy's really a icing on a big cake. 
It's been very, very unpleasant. Rick, I so appreciate you coming on with us today. Great stories, great interview. I uh, wish you the best of luck being a being a brand new grandpa. I'm sure you want to see there that kid go. soon. And uh, <laughs> yeah, look forward to speaking to you again one day. Okay, guys, you know you did a nice job. Thanks again, and uh, stay safe. Bye bye. Thanks, Rick.